Hello, lovely ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson, and sitting over in snowy, but not snowy anymore, Estonia, is the Herculean Tommy Dankwa. How are you, sir? I am very well. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Lovely to see you, mate. And I want to say see you. I can actually see your face today. Yeah, it's a bit weird. We're, so we're recording this on a different platform because Zencaster have decided to charge. You know, I mean, good on them for, you know, doing it for free for so long. Probably about four years we were on that <laughs> platform. But yes, we are now on Google, who also charge, but I was paying for it anyway. So <laughs> this is very boring. <laughs> we haven't done a podcast for ages. And this is really boring. So um Anyway, how are you, sir? What what you what's what's happening? All good. All is all is well. All is well, like you said. It's been very snowy over here. Very cold. Um, that's not got me down. It's been lovely. Uh, school has just finished, so the kids are out. They're all super excited. So there's a sort of air of excitement in our home. So yeah, things are good, mate. Things are good. Things are nice. I'm uh I'm happy to be back. To be honest with you, I'm really looking forward to speaking and. Uh, welcoming guests on again and uh, yeah we're just gearing up for the christmas time all is good yeah although this might be uh, this might go out after christmas so we could pretend we could cut that bit out and pretend <laughs> we're in 2024 if you want how's 2024 for you so far should we try should we try different uh <laughs> <laughs> I had, yeah i had a great great year great year really really feeling positive about the new year mate <laughs> yeah that was an amazing new year's eve wasn't it 2023 to 24 <laughs> absolutely it was so good i don't even remember it that's i mean i must have been oh just do you know what i mean must have been off my head off my face (laughs) um yes well so we haven't done a podcast uh in quite a while but we uh we will do i think we're going to do a separate sort of um catch up because we're long overdue a catch up aren't we it's been it's been a long while but we're going to do it yeah, go on. Sorry, Tommy. Go on. It has been a while. And I think, yeah, there's probably loads that we need to catch up on, isn't there? So, yeah, it will be nice to do that and let the listeners know what's been going on. I think you've been super busy, haven't you? Very busy. Lots of busyness. Yeah, there's been a lot of busyness. <laughs> are you well, is the question. How are you yes, feeling? Yes, I, I am well. I don't know if you can hear. I'm a little bit bunged up, actually, um, uh, as is the time of year. Lots of lurgies going around and I've got one of them. So. And I've just found out my mum and dad have both have both got COVID. So um Christmas is under the question under question oh, no. for me. Um yeah, I mean it should it should it should be fine, but they're both they're both all right. They're both all right. Um my dad's made of stuff that's um beyond all our comprehension. And uh, my mum is uh, yeah, I mean I worry more about my mum. She's a lot younger than him, but um they're both all right. So um fingers crossed. We will have a Christmas. All, yeah. yeah. All I can we'll wish say them is, well. I mean, wish them well. I will wish. I, I will wish them well. I will wish them well. All I can say is, COVID can do one. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's been around for so bloody long. Just yeah, fuck off. Basically, is all I can say. <laughs> right. Anyway, so we do have a, a guest waiting patiently in the wings. And the weird thing is, normally when it's a voice-only podcast, we can't see the po- the guest waiting in the wings, but we can actually see. Now we can see the wings. We can actually see the wings. Uh, I know the, the green room, as you call it, and it's um, it's not as green as I thought it would be, is it? Is it green? I mean, what what colour would you call that, Ashley? I'm, well, I'm wearing green. Is it? Are you wearing dungarees? Yes. Lovely. Love it. <laughs> love it. I love dungarees. Bring it back. Good man. I've got a pair myself. I've got a pair myself. Yeah. I've got um, so the guest on this week's show is comedian and writer Ashley Blaker. Uh, he has a series on Radio 4 called 6.5 Children, and he is the author of a funny and moving memoir about parenting children with diverse needs called Normal Schmormal. And he has also, also recently been diagnosed at the age of... 47, is it? Or 40? Uh, well, I'm 48 now. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been recently diagnosed with autism himself, which is of big interest to me for a couple of reasons. Because um, 
I've got a good friend of mine who's just been diagnosed with autism at the age of uh, uh, 50, actually, he was diagnosed. Um, So I am very interested in uh, talking about that. And also a good friend of mine is also an expert in uh, autism with um, children. And she just had a book out. So, um, so yeah, I've been sort of talking about that quite a lot recently. So from a men's mental health perspective, it would be good to talk about autism itself and also about parenting, being a parent with kids with certain needs and also being an autistic parent. So, um, yes, thank you for coming along. Pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. So can, can you tell us a little bit about your um, your family, um, how many there, there are and the range of special educational needs they have? Yeah, so I have six children uh, and three have a diagnosis. The other three have the surname Blaker, which is probably the same thing. But um, so I have two sons who are diagnosed with autism and ADHD uh, and a adopted an adopted daughter who has Down syndrome. And yeah, my, I certainly at least one of my sons. I mean, my fourth son is, I think, has more classic traits of ASDs and the others put together, but he is undiagnosed. Uh, he might seek like me to finally get an assessment in his mid, you know, mid late forties, what have you. But at the moment there wasn't really the need for it, I felt. Right. And these and these um diagnoses have sort of come along gradually, basically, if they Well no, my so my eldest son uh had Prompted by a very severe speech delay and a very limited diet, he we started down the process of kind of intervention when he was about 18 months old. He was diagnosed with autism and ADHD at three. So pretty young. Um, my third son was diagnosed at six. So mm-hmm. still relatively young, but um, obviously, um, you know, three is like probably not going to get much younger than that really is no. so sorry i'm going to let tommy because no, normally when we're um uh, talking to guests and it's audio only we're we're whatsapping each other saying you next you next but we can't do that now maybe i'll give you a little sign should we do like a little sign where you <laughs> you're next maybe i'll go like that i don't know i'll give you a thumbs yeah. up or something or a little nod i've got one more quick question and this is probably one that that isn't really an easy answer but it's so so i mean if there's if there's such a pre- prevalence of it in your family does that mean that that you think that is there definitely an an autism gene is that a silly question to ask or well i don't know i mean i'm look i'm not be very very clear about this you know, mm. i'm not an expert in mm. i don't i'm i don't seem as i an expert in autism and neurodiversity i'm not a you know professor baron mm. coven yeah uh, I, I'm an expert in my house. That's what yeah. I can tell you about. And uh, the book is about is basically a, a funny kind of comic memoir about our lives, but also a how to guide based on that. But when you come down to the science and is it a gene and what have you, I, I, all I'll say is that you know the clues are there. The clues are there for sure in our house. Um, so, but you know, I wouldn't want to say that that mean, what that means for anyone else. Sure, it's so yeah. complicated, isn't it? You do have to be an expert <clears throat> to understand understand it. Yeah, yeah. go on, Tommy. Or well, we, you know, we're gonna we're gonna come back to your book a bit later on. But mm. what I'm really curious about is. Um, Obviously, you found out these diagnoses, the diagnosis for your children quite young. Mm. How, like, how did you, like, how was it to see that news? I mean, obviously, you said you had ideas with the delayed speech and whatnot. At the time, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's very positive, very positive, actually. I think um, there's a whole chapter. Just, I know we're going to come back to the book, but just very briefly to contextualize. Um, so the book is in a format of an A to Z, also appropriately for a book that deals with children who find learning challenging. It's not all in the right order. It kind of starts with M and ends in O, uh, but M is for meetings, meetings, meetings. But anyway, one of the chapters called D is for Diagnosis Autism. 
which go through our experience with our eldest son particularly and the process to getting that diagnosis and for, for us it was a very much a very positive thing um you know of sometimes obviously getting a diagnosis you know if let's say god forbid one was suddenly diagnosed with stage four cancer obviously that would be terrible or what have you most times you get a diagnosis that isn't a good thing now in this is actually a case where i think diagnosis is a good thing uh yeah. you know you've got a child you're your you're first time parents you're dealing with a child who you know you you know you're so excited first time parents and you, you obviously compare to their peers and what's going on in their class at school and you've got a child who can't do the things other children can do and they're not eating properly and they're not talking and they're not doing lots of other things that you would expect them to be able to do uh, and getting that diagnosis was a yeah a moment of real relief uh, obviously it meant that we weren't just shit parents uh now it may it may still be shit parents but at least that wasn't the only reason there was a real pause behind what was happening and you know we had a piece of paper to prove it and beyond that the diagnosis also it just unlocks a lot of help a lot of um obviously practical things like speech therapy and uh um dietitians and different things that will to help us get to where we need to be uh but also things like getting a statement at school to be able to get to our eldest son had full-time support at school 35 hours of, of support and these things will get unlocked as a result of that diagnosis so yes yeah, certainly in terms of what was our reaction our reaction was at the time i mean obviously still kind of like Oh, okay um you know that's that's something not saying it's 100 positive also look also by that point it's not like the clues weren't there so it was it was only a question of confirming what we'd at that point you know it didn't come out of nowhere as i say it's not like getting a kind of uh you know finding out you've got you know a brain tumor or something it, it was something that you're kind of going okay he's being assessed for autism so at that point, as soon as those words are introduced, you're going, okay, that's when you're dealing with those kind of feelings of, oh, wow, we've been dealt a, um, a difficult hand here or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you finally get that diagnosis, it's not actually at that, by that point, it's not a surprise. Yeah. Hello, Tommy, you were... Yes. So I had a bit of a delay on the uh, video there. Um, yeah. So you, you you just touched on it as well. So um, I was going to ask you about what support comes with, like especially through the school and the educational system. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you know the school they sort of put things in place. Could you expand on that a little bit, like the support that you receives through from the school? Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of parents will have very mixed uh, experiences here, and schools can be quite recalcitrant and quite challenging um obviously these things cost a lot of money and so they won't want to spend their own money uh but we if you if you uh the kind of process is via like your local council local authority to have like what they call an ehcp or, or a statement of special educational needs which will come with a package of money or package of hours and what have you and so they'll say you know uh, well, for example, my eldest, my eldest son had 35 hours of support. That that basically counts to full time, because my daughter who goes to a special school gets 35 hours. So that's basically a full time kind of support. Uh, my third son got some 18 hours. He need as much support, um, and so you know, and there'll be hours of support, but they'll also be on top of that. There'll be so that's 18 hours, um, say 35 hours of uh, like. Uh, LSA learning support system times an extra body in the classroom. Um, but also then on top of that, there might be gain many hours of speech therapy either in school or outside of school. Uh, so, you know, or um my daughter has like physio included. So there's different therapies that might be included. So there's support there. Now what happens with a lot of families is that they have to really fight a battle with this, not so much with schools, but often with local authorities. Many parents have to take local authorities to court to try and 
get this stuff obviously you know in an age of austerity these are the kind of things that have been cut back and so councils are looking to save money by not spending on these kind of things if they can avoid it so it's, it's a kind of constant battle between parents and um, authorities about this mm. <clears throat> it's, it, and, and i guess the, the, that sort of, you know, people always talk about the spectrum, you know, talking about Asperger's and autism. Mm. I, I don't, to be honest, I don't really know the difference between the well, two. People don't use those words anymore. But Asperger's um, seems to be, I don't know if it's in a kind of politically incorrect word, but uh, people don't, it's not, I don't think it's a thing anymore. People don't, it used to be. Um, oh. If you, if you, yeah, if you look on like Wikipedia, it'll say, like, look up Asperger's, it'll say Asperger's used to be. It's not now, basically, all these things just get folded into ASD, which stands for um, autism syndrome uh, uh, disorder. You know, it, it's not oh. a, um, yeah, so it's just, yeah. Okay. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, though? Uh, I, I don't know, really. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, I'm looking on Wikipedia now. Asperger's formerly <laughs> described a neurodevelopmental disorder. I mean, so yes, it's now just autism spectrum disorder. It's just, it's just, uh, I don't know. I suppose it's about, look, these things will change again, I suppose, at some point in our lifetimes. It's it's just about trying to find ways to describe, think some, you know, like the word neurodiverse, neurodiversity, neurodivergent are now used more. Mm. Um, I look, I think all these labels can be helpful, but they can also be unhelpful because they can make you um, imagine some things that may not be the case. Imagine, you know, both for positive and negative. So I think it's a it's the ASD is just this big umbrella term mm. that covers lots of um, uh, basically everything that's and this big spectrum, as you say. Yeah, because I was going to ask you about what what the sort of symptoms you saw were without going into too much sort of detail about you know certain behaviors of what i mean what are the sort of because because it is well, a, yeah they're very, so with our children or with so the thing with the children were obviously um uh you said this very they've all had actually speech delay uh mm. my eldest son didn't speak until he was like six or seven um then the, the major issues around food, but there's lots of other sensory issues, um, clothing, and uh, lots of very challenging behaviour, some of which would have been connected to the lack of speech and frustration around that. Um, now, interestingly, though, they, in a weird way, I think they actually threw me off the scent of my own autism. Funny enough, because I think that it's the kind of thing people maybe joked about before in a way. Like, you know, if you you only have to know a lot about something, and people go, oh, right. you know, it's like that kind mm. of thing. But um, you know, it's a kind of jokey insult, really. And I think, though, in a way, my children are actually throwing me off the scent because my two autistic sons have both had a learning difficulty. As I say, they necessitated help in school i didn't require any help in school it was very academic um so i think that in a way that had thrown me off the scent because i thought if you didn't have those um learning difficulties then you couldn't be autistic but no there is as you say a, a wide kind of spectrum there um and um you know whether or not i would be someone who in a previous generation would have been said to have Asperger's, I don't know. But it's, for me, there's, I've, I can see a lot of those similar traits. Basically, what happened was when I wrote the book, I just realized that, you know, I had to do, I say it's not a, a research book, but there was a, a little bit of minimal research that went into it, just because I was curious about certain issues around hyperfixation uh, hyper and, um, sensory needs and empathy as well particularly and i was reading some studies about this these subjects and i realized i really could have been writing about myself and and that's why i thought god this this 
this not all sounds like me. And so getting myself assessed seemed to be like, you know, the obvious next step. It felt like something that I felt was important. Yeah, because my, my friend, he, um, you know, he had no extra help at school or anything like that um, and uh, could hold down a job. But there were certain things, I mean, he what would manifest with him is he loved everything to be proper and in, in order and proper. <clears throat> and if anything went slightly, you know, yep. off kilter, it he would get a bit angry. He would get sort yep. of furious, yeah. furious about sort of things right. that weren't, we were like, why are you getting angry about that? You know, you know, why are you, get, why are you so uptight? You know, there was a lot of that sort yep. of thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, exactly. So that's me. Yeah. That's me. Yeah. That's you, is it? Am I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that that that's sort of. Uh, oh, I'm a pain to live with. Yeah. And uh, now, interestingly, the other thing I will say, actually, regarding my lead diagnosis, uh, is that I think the signs, symptoms, for for want of a better word, the the ways in which my neurodiversity has manifested itself have become much more noticeable in the last five years, I would say, certainly the last three or four years, what have you. It's quite hard to pin, obviously, to put a, a finger on exactly why. Possibly pandemic might have had an impact, mm. you know, on, on bringing out a lot of issues and lockdown and all that good stuff. But something I read about, and I've never heard about this, uh, and when I first heard about it, it sounded bollocks, but you know, I've read about it, and it's a, a real thing called autistic burnout. Now, what autistic burnout is, is I think this idea that, like, there are some people who, after years of um, masking, I think that's probably what it's, you know, but effectively living in a neurotypical world, after years of that, you reach a kind of tipping point where you can't put up with it anymore and you have this thing called autistic burnout and which manifests itself in different ways in different people but can look like depression but i had been saying for several like for a year or so just going oh, i really feel burnout and i really feel like i might have had this this autism burnout and that this has kind of caused a lot of these uh signs symptoms what have you to become much more obvious there were things that I could put up with before that I can like now my sensory needs have definitely become much more noticeable things that I could live with before irritate the hell out of me now. It's also getting old that brings that on as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm I'm I think I'm a bit less tolerant when now I'm well that's that as well for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but but I've got a question. So um obviously you You've lived your whole life. You've got your diagnosis. Um, you said when you got the diagnosis for your kids, it was an absolute, you know, it was, it was a relief because yes. you knew what you were dealing with. So yeah. how did your diagnosis affect you and also uh, your relationship, you know, your, 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 with your partner? Yeah, <clears throat> very difficult. Um, and, you know, quite, again, obviously once you're getting it, again, like I was saying about the, the kids, you know, getting that final uh, assessment result wasn't such a shock because once you kind of gone, oh God, I think this is me, and so I'm going to get assessed, you'll really start to process it a little bit. But yeah, quite a shocking thing in a way, and quite some feeling of happiness to explain certain things in the past. A lot of things made sense. That's a good thing. So there's kind of sadness over, I suppose, missed opportunities over things that I've thought to myself, oh, God, if, if, you know, either I've been too hard on myself or other people I feel have been too hard on me, um, you know, particularly through kind of childhood, adolescence, what have you. So, you know, the first 20 so years of my life, yeah, it really does make you re-evaluate and view your life in a totally different way. Yeah. So, so this we're going back to this phrase um, neurodiversity because it's quite a um, 
in phrase now, isn't it? You know, it's uh... yeah. That seems to be the the, the the fashionable phrase at the moment. I'm not a massive fan of it because I actually think that it's if you Google it. I mean, I I think it's fine regarding like ASD and as a. It's quite good when you're writing a book, as I've just done, that you don't want to kind of have to repeat the same words the whole time. So it's quite good when you kind of go like, oh, I've got a sentence and I don't want to use the word autistic twice. So you can use autistic and neurodiverse, and neuro you know. So it's quite good to have euphemisms and other words like that. However, from a, from a more uh, uh, general terms, if you Google the words neurodiversity or neurodivergence, and et cetera, it is covered, so much is covered that you reach a point where you just go, well, I, I'm not entirely sure who who is not neurodiverse. I mean, it's it, it, if if you're like, I mean, I'm Googling it now, like it's not just autism and AASD and ADD and ADHD, but I think there was, um, I don't know, this lexia and dyspraxia and it, it there is yep. so much that's covered in it mm. yeah that it's, you reach a point where you go well that's kind of I mean, it's kind of everyone isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, really it's like... this... sorry i apologize go on, carry on sorry no no i mean like you know cd and this other anxiety i mean it could be everything i mean it's, I, you know I, yeah it just it just becomes I mean, I was talking to somebody who's a friend of mine in New York last week, and whose fifteen-year-old uh, uh, daughter is um, describes herself as queer, and if and, and but every one of her friends that defines themselves as queer. Now, the, the the very word queer makes it you sound like you you're a bit different to the norm. But mm-hmm. if everybody if that becomes the norm, would that that it's a different thing? It's it's no from what I mean. It's it mm-hmm. it strikes me as almost like everybody. You know, they used to say, "Oh, everybody's a bit on the spectrum," but just everybody. So, I, I I'm not sure how helpful those terms are, but um, you know, that's just a, I think I, I think I mean I think it's there. I mean, obviously, they put it in as a they're trying to do it as a positive thing to try and sort of you know. You know, oh, it is diversity, yeah, for sure. Yeah, diversity is is a positive thing in 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 terms of ethnicity and you know sexuality and genders and things like that. And I guess neuro is another thing that they're they're doing. But I can see, yeah, I mean, I'm just wondering. I guess amongst your kids, friends, and within the school, is, is that is that a word that's sort of being used a lot? And is it quite? <clears throat> Actually, that's a good question. I don't know about that, actually. I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't think I've heard them use that term. Um, Mm. But, uh, yeah, look, look, diversity is important. I think it's really, and that's a major theme of my book, that I, you know, I really wish people were more accepting, particularly neurodiversity in children. I think we're very good at accepting it in adults. I think a lot of famous people, a lot of famous comedians have been diagnosed over recent years with some kind of neurodiversity which brings home, I suppose, the value that neurodiverse people bring to society and how much we are, you know, in debt uh, to neurodiverse people. And yet we're still not so good when it comes to children. If you see a child having a meltdown on the train in the supermarket, we're more likely to kind of think that's a badly behaved child or to, you know, feel that the parents aren't doing a good job of... um, keeping control so you know that that's really i think an important an important thing for, for the book i wonder if people who are prone to depression uh people that are bipolar people that have got schizophrenia people with like you know ocd you know people with mental health disorders or are, are they classed as neurodiverse as well i think some are again i'm not an expert but i think some are but this is an interesting thing because i think that. The mental health and neurodiversity, it's like a Venn diagram. There's a shaded area in between. I personally don't know if I've got... So I wouldn't say I had mental health issues myself, mm-hmm. uh, just speaking purely of myself. Um, but I have, you know, autism, which is not, which is only born with, not like, you know, it's not like a mental health issue. However, as I said, the burnout does 
look a lot like depression that is the thing so it's it's important to um to, to i suppose if one was looking for treatment which i you know i'm not on any medication or anything but if one was it'd be important to kind of ascertain which what what it was because otherwise you might get mistreated or misdiagnosed or whatever um which obviously wouldn't be a good thing so it's you know it's really important to to take these things seriously and to find out what the real causes are yeah tommy should i hand yeah, the baton yeah. over to you oh well you know you you just touched on it so yeah actually you mentioned that a lot of people in the in the comedy circuit have had yeah. these diagnosis. Mm. So that leads us on to a really good question that we have. Like, as a comedian, like, how does it affect you in doing stand-up? You know, probably one of the most nerve-wracking things that you can do is get on stage in front of people and performing. How, yeah. how does it affect you or how is it impacted you in a positive way, maybe you can share with us? Um, of course, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think that the... It can't be a coincidence that so many comedians are, are, are neurodiverse. I mean, I think, you know, if, if we're talking about, in a very broad sense, neurodivergence means that your brain works a little bit different from most people. That's the kind of broadest um, definition. That is, you know, exactly what comedians do or defines, you know, people who are, tend to be comedians they're people who see the world a little bit differently that's exactly what what um what makes them funny people you know what we expect of our comedians they just see the world very slightly differently and uh yeah so so many i mean not with autism some like sam brady um and i think Stuart lee was diagnosed with autism not long ago but uh, ADHD, uh, Johnny Vegas, and uh, Sue Perkins, Rory Browner, Simon Brodkin. So quite a lot of comedians. Wow. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, and I'm sure there are many others, uh, but as I say, it wouldn't be surprised if, you know, every comedian in the country had some kind of <clears throat> neurodiversity would not be overly surprising. Because it, yeah. it's it's that which brings exactly what it is that you know we like about them to begin with. Sure, yeah, yeah I understand that. Oh, have we lost? We've lost him, <laughs> and he's back. I pressed some different mistake. Sorry. All oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so it wouldn't be a surprise if every comedian in the country, frankly, I mean, I spent the last you know getting many years 20 plus years working with comedians and um yes i, I it, if i found out many of them were uh below this would be more of a surprise now to find out that they were neurotypical mm. so just quickly going back to the you know why why you actually got the test and 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 why because it's adhd and autism so why sort of how did that? How did was it all in one lot? You just decided to get tested for everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, well, basically, as I said, I was writing this book. Uh, it was a little bit of. I, I did some. I was particularly interested in. I was writing about my kids' hyperfixations and their sensory needs, and yeah, as I say, I I never really kind of. It's only sometimes, even though I've lived with autistic children for over eighteen years, it's only when you sit down and write about them and kind of put put in like one chapter about this is a chapter about those sensory issues or this is a chapter about hyperfixation, special interest and that kind of thing. And you go, oh God, this really is me. I mean this 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 I could be writing about myself here. My life is a has basically been a series of hyperfixations. I mean that's exactly what my life my life story. And then so, yeah, I mean I'm I'm so the the age uh, well, ADHD and autism. How do they? How do they work together? Do they? Do they? Are they against each other? Or are they part and parcel of the two? Two things. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I I think they are. They they kind of work in different ways because, like, for the for the, you know, sometimes I can be 
particularly like focus, you know, because ADHD and, you know, it's classically like inability to focus, you know, like the two, your brain is kind of whizzing, you're easily distracted and, you know, you start with one task but you can't finish it because you're suddenly Googling, you know, something completely irrelevant. But I also can really hyperfixate on something and make sure it gets something done. And, you know, I've knocked out a 400 page book. And, you know, in order to do that, you, you really just get kind of hyper focus. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, they do work in tangent, I think. Uh, as I said, my children have, um, but both two, my two sons who are diagnosed have both autism and ADHD. So. Mm. Do you know what? I'm gonna I wanna ask you kind of touched on it, but I'm gonna ask one more question and then I'll yeah, sure, sure, sure. ask you about your book because I want to hear more about it. I'm sure Andy, you yeah, don't yeah, sure, sure. So um just like going back to your upbringing, um yeah. you, you you mentioned it before, but were there signs? Did you have an inkling that there might be you might be facing these challenges? Or, you know, how was your upbringing? Tell us a bit more about that. Just so, so I'd like yeah, to understand. I think no, definitely. I mean, I, I I mean, looking back now, I mean, it's incredible that it was missed, frankly. Um, I can only assume, well, I mean, I suppose the kindest uh, assessment would be that it was just a different era and people just didn't, you know, weren't so attuned to this kind of thing then. And so these signs were missed. I would say, I, I find it hard to believe because the signs now I look back are so obvious. But I think they were missed. Um, I think people just didn't, you know, want to. Yeah, it's just not something that people talked about. They were too, you know, busy um, watching politically incorrect TV and driving and, you know, racist jokes. It's a different era. I don't know. It's it's, it's weird. Good old days. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's really weird. It's really, it's really weird. I find it hard to uh hard to fathom really yeah mm. but uh you know it, it's just yeah i, I suppose i you know I, I haven't the truth is i haven't even had that conversation with my parents i'm not sure i really want to but i don't know I'm not, and i'm not sure they tell me the truth anyway but like would i'm curious did Anyone ever you you know, and I apparently was a late speaker. Uh, um, had a speech delay, not as much as six, but I definitely was a late speaker. I think I had um, speech therapy. Well, this was the things I had speech therapy, but it was only when I had this assessment. I was talking to the psychologist, with, to the doctor who was assessing me, that the, the penny dropped that I'd even had speech therapy because I had been elocution lessons for quite some time. Now, it was only like four years later, more, that I actually thought, oh my God, that was speech therapy. And like they just called it something else. We just didn't like, you know, we didn't kind of um, want to be, you know, stigmatized. I mean, so didn't have that hard with that brush of speech therapy. No, I just had elocution lessons. So, uh, but anyway, it's interesting. I, I, I'd be curious to know did anyone ever say to my parents, you know, have you considered? that uh you know to get actually assessed for autism uh or or, or not i don't know I'd be curious. as i say i didn't want to i'd ever get the truth i don't know but um because they would say they would obviously say no and uh if someone did say it, i'm sure they wouldn't want to admit it so uh yeah so i don't know it's it's uh it's a it's a it's a, it's a tricky one really yeah, sounds like a bit of a, uh, maybe a delicate subject. There's some things there that maybe you still need to sort of address, or is that something you feel like you might be able well, to do? Well, not address, no. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, no, like, I really want to write a book about this. Um, so, yeah. in a second book. But in terms of addressing, no, as I say, I don't know if it can address it with you, because as I, say, I don't know if I didn't really get a, a truthful answer anyway. And I, uh, you know, and I wasn't, I was just, it wasn't there. It either was there or it wasn't in the meeting or, or too young to remember but um you know in terms of like you know whether or not a teacher like i was at you know nursery or something you know and uh did did i somebody ever did anyone ever say 
to my parents, um, you know, we, we think actually might be autistic. I don't know. And I don't think I'll ever get an answer on that one. I think we're a lot more advanced than that. I mean, certainly, I know we are with ADHD. I mean, it seems like, oh, the amount of people that are being, um, you know, uh, being told that they're, certainly with children, saying that their kids have got ADHD is astounding, isn't it? And whether that's a symptom of society and the way, you know, people people's brains are sort of sapped um, of concentration. Right, by well, I was going to say, Exactly, all these things, exactly, for sure. And I do think the pandemic had a huge impact. I mean, both both in terms of what it did to people's brains, but then also people at home had time to, you know, get assessed and think about this kind of stuff. Mm. Like, I think in, during lockdown, everybody had to start a podcast, made sourdough or got set mm. for ADHD. <laughs> we started ours way before yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. Come on. We're going to have to. Finally, we're going to have to ask yes. you about your book. Yeah. Come on. Yes. Yeah. Normal schnormal. Give it normal to schnormal, us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we've spoken about it quite a lot. I mean, so, um, um, you know, it's. Um, I say it's a, a the, the normal schnormal, my occasionally helpful guide to parenting kids with special needs, and yeah. So it talks about. Um, it goes through, an A to Z starts with M is for meetings, 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 but it covers um, X is for x-rays and other hospital appointments, um, P is for play dates, F is for friendships. So it covers a lot of ground that any parents of kids with special needs would recognise. So also talking about terminology earlier, the, the terminology in the book, I didn't want to, you know, special needs, SCN, I'm not sure exactly what the right terms are. Um, so the term I've used actually is zappers and cold plays. So kids, mainstream kids are like cold play, perfectly good, but rather boring. Um, like like Keir Starmer. They're, they're the missionary position of children. Uh, now, kids with special needs are more like avant-garde musicians. Captain Beefheart, Kate Bush, Frank Zappa. So Frank Zappa, you know, he wouldn't care, doesn't want to, you know, doesn't not look into sell as many records, not doesn't care about being on the shelf in supermarket. They move to the beat of their own drum, do their own thing. I love that. I respect that. I think it's great. Uh, and that's what the kids with special needs are like. Uh, so throughout the book, they're called Zappers and Cold Place. And so if you've got a zapper in your life, either as a child or as a grandchild or as a a niece and nephew or whether you're prof actually professionals could be work with children uh, absolutely love this book and yeah that's and i think actually that whole zappa's cold thing in a way sums up the the tone of the book and the fact that it's not just the fact that it's trying to be funny but also that it's lighthearted but actually that it's a real kind of pride in it i think that's the thing it's like just as I'm one of those kind of musos that kind of wants to think of himself as better than other people because I don't listen to the kind of chart stuff I listen to. I'm too cool for that. I listen to the music that I listen to music that would be too challenging for most people. I also walk around with superiority because I parent children that would be too challenging for most people. And that's all parents of children with special needs. That's how we should feel. We shouldn't feel kind of sad or ashamed or uh, embarrassed. We should feel pride that we parent kids. Um, yeah. 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 Nice. That, nice. That's good. And I, I like, I do like the way <clears throat> you've, um, I, I, I confess I haven't read the book. Um, how dare but, you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, but you know who has Andy? You, Alex Horn, Matt Lucas, David Williams. Yeah, that's nice. sort of, yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. reviews there, my friends. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm very proud of it, and the people who you know read it. Uh, uh, um, well, I, I must feel like I mean, it's a real fear. It's my first book, and and I know from you know from comedy and from uh, performing live, but also performing on, you know, as, 
gaming shows on Radio 4. And, you know, when you do stuff in front of the public, you put yourself out there, you are always going to get people who don't like what you do. I mean, that's just yeah. inevitable. It just doesn't matter, you know. Um, but genuinely, I am yet to find a single person. I'm yet to see a single negative review or negative feedback or anything. People mm. have only been overwhelmingly positive about this book. Uh, that might mean not enough people have read it yet, but even so, it's, it's still pretty incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of been overwhelmed by that. Um, and, you know, very happy about that. Um, that, yeah, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing to get the tone right. I didn't want to come across as flippant or as... Um, you know, it's, it's also it's very difficult when you're talking about something like this. You don't want to come across as, um, you know, generalizing. And that's the thing. It's very, you, you need to avoid generalizing. Mm. That's why I was said early on, you know, my, this book is about my life and our experiences. Um, and my kids are the real stars of it. I mean, one of the things I <laughs> really like about this book, um, I may blow my mind for a bit for a second, is that a lot of books about parenting i've read a lot of books about parenting not just special needs but just parenting in general uh and then what you'll find is they'll often well almost always i'm going to say often but almost without exception they are very anonymous they'll often not even use the kids real names or, or even use their names at all they'll call them like a, a, an initial or they'll call them one two and three or whatever uh and then they'll certainly not have photos you know so like, um, you know, Josh Wickham and Rob Beckett, you know, they do their parenting hell and they've got a book as well. But they don't they actually, they tell you about their lives and the kind of main year of their life. But they don't really actually tell you that much. You don't learn much about the kids themselves. For obvious reasons, they want to keep them anonymous. That's fair enough. So with my book, it's kind of the opposite. The, the, you know, the kids are there, their photos are there, their names are there. And it, you know, with their consent and they're very involved, they play themselves on the radio show as well. But... They're the start of it, you know. I, I'm just a, I'm just a kind of uh, participant, but they are the stars of the book. Many people who've read this book uh, have, has, has said to me, you know, my favourite is uh, my favourite is Bailey, my favourite is Zoe, my favourite is Edward. Lots of people got, you know, said that that's my favourite child. Like, and I, I think that that's the thing that I keep like most about it. It's quite unusual that. They are the stars. They really are the stars of the book. Mm. Oh, love it. And actually, I'm looking at the picture. You have got a beautiful family. The picture oh, is absolutely you, amazing. Really, really lovely. Um, now, I'm just saying, uh, just, uh, we will, well, we're going to ask, we're going to say it again, but the book is available yep. on Amazon from Waterstones, wsmithsbookshop.org. Yep. And we can find all those as well on your website, which is ashleyblaker.com. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and I love I love the way because we're the same. You know, uh, you you're talking about a subject which is very serious, but by doing it in a sort of light-hearted way, at times you're diminishing the power. You know, if, like with mental health, you're if you're very serious about it all the time, then it just becomes a weight that no one wants to talk about. But if you if you you know if you can laugh at it and not necessarily yeah, or with it, yeah. Or with it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then um, it can only be a good thing. So yeah, no, it's cool. Lovely. Let's break these barriers through being light-hearted. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. Well, we we're nearly the hour's nearly up now. So okay. um, I guess we best. Um, uh, are you doing any live gigs at all, or, or we'll be doing uh, the tour, the normal normal tour next year? But um, I'm not sure how, what, how many. I don't think all the dates are on sale yet. So, um, uh, uh, but yeah, not till April. But uh, focusing still on the book, and uh, yeah, uh, but all friend, the info will be on the website. Friend of mine does does um, a um, a sort of a parenting uh, comedy uh, double act. Have you heard of the Scummy Mummies? Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, Helen, Helen Thorne, and that's uh, yeah. I was thinking about them only the other day. Funnily enough, oh, yeah. uh, I was because um, I didn't realise until I was watching something online. This is the classic um, ADHD. You know, I was talking about before. Just like you know, you start 
Googling stuff and what have you. And I was thinking about Jossie's Giants. Oh, my yeah. God. Jossie's Giants. Yes. Yeah. We're all up, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, right. So, well, I was watching, I was actually watching an episode of Grange. <laughs> this is why I was, I was looking at an old episode of Grange on Britbox. And Jossie's Giants, the man who played Jossie's Giants, Jim Barkley, uh, who weirdly, Jim Barkley, so Josh Giants, those who don't know what I'm talking about, was a kids' show, it was from like the mid 80s. Uh, it was about 86, I think, 87, set in, like, in Newcastle with this former footballer called Jossie, uh, played by a, a man who's actually a comedian. It was like one of the early uh, alternative comics called Jim Barkley, who I love the young ones. He's in a few episodes of the young ones. Um, oh, yeah. But he, and I didn't realize until I was then looking something up about him that he is the father of Ellie Gibson, who is one of the other scummy men. Oh, Ellie. Yeah, yeah. wow. And her father is, 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 Jossie, is Jossie from Jossie Jones. Look at that. We're all Jossie's giants. Football's just a friendly science. There you go. That's it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tommy knows it on a... I only remember vaguely something called Joss, Jossie's giants, but you know it on a whole... Another, another level, Tommy. Oh, wasn't it? it was great. It was great. <laughs> okay. Really? Well, well, that's been that's been a great episode. I yeah. hope uh, all the listeners have, have got something from that. And um, wish you luck on uh, with the book and the rest Thank of you. the uh, the tour next Isn't year. It? And have yourself Thanks, a Merry Christmas. And, and to you. Uh, and if this goes after, I wish you a happy a Merry Christmas in 2024 and a happy 2025. Or happy Easter, maybe. Or whatever. We don't yeah. That much for, yeah. Yeah. Happy something. Before we finish, um, remember, so all information, upcoming tour dates will be on ashleyblaker.com. The book is out now, normal, normal, and it is available from all good retailers, especially Waterstones, W. Smiths. And if you're not from the UK, they've got Target, Barnes & Noble, and bookshop.org. Yeah, you, it's good to have a Tommy on your side, isn't it? He's good. He's, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cheers, guys. Cheers. Okay. That's been Man Up. Speak to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, Andy.